Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Bridging Chicago. Hi, this is Nathan with the Bridging Chicago team. I'm here alongside one of my co-hosts, Savannah Roundtree, which I'm sure you all know her by now. And so thank you for joining us, Savannah. Of course, it's you know part of my job, but I am happy to be here. <laughs> We, we asked, kind of. <laughs> We're also joined by Ashley Pollack, who is an associate board member of the Eisenberg Foundation, who we love working with, building a great partnership with Eisenberg. And so, Ashley, thanks for joining us as well today. Thanks for having me. Happy to help. <laughs> yeah. It's obviously been a different but a, a good year in some ways for uh, for especially our topic today, uh, diversity and inclusion has been big this year. And um, I think a lot of good work has been started, obviously a long way to go, but I think this has been a good year for conversation, for people learning, for people realizing that we need to learn. And so I'm excited to talk to both of you about what this has meant for you and your communities and, and even your work. And so I kind of want to just start by setting a base here. And Savannah, I think you did a great job before of, of helping us understand a little bit more about the actual meaning of diversity and inclusion. So can you share with us what, what it means to you, what diversity and inclusion means to you? Sure. Um, you know, if you know me, if anyone has heard me talk on the podcast, you probably know I've spent a long time, uh, you know, going to grad school. I went to law school. I spent way too long in higher education. So I have this academic background. And um, <laughs> so it's really an interesting question when people say, uh, what does this word mean to you? Because to me, I'm like, these are words that have definitions. And um, I think part of the problem has been that people and companies have been throwing around terms like diversity and inclusion without really considering what those words mean. And so I think it is really good for us all to start off on the mm -hmm. same page and just know that diversity just means the innate traits and characteristics that make individuals unique, their skin color, sexual orientation, culture, background, you know, whatever. And inclusion means having systems in place to set to ensure that any certain group of people is welcoming and encouraging of having diversity within its bounds. Yeah, thanks. That's a really great answer. I think it's a really simple way to kind of understand that they are not mutually exclusive. They do work together, but they are different. Ashley, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? Um, no, Savannah said it really well. I think if I had to give my thoughts on what diversity meant and means to me, um, it really comes from understanding that uh, we are individuals and we individually come with our own perspectives and um, walks of life and that we should be celebrating those differences, but those differences also make us um, 
one, if that makes any sense. Um, and I think people tend to forget um, that there's nothing wrong with being an individual. And it doesn't mean that we can't come together as a unified group under those and understanding those differences. So that's yeah, diversity is important through, to me. For sure. And through that lens, I kind of want to look at what having the seat at the table, Savannah mentioned the seat at the table, and we know that a seat at the table is obviously one step and then actually being heard and being listened to while you're there is, is also important. So Ashley, can you kind of share with us why it's important, why you think it's important for diverse people to be given the seat and then sort of what that next step of actually like listening and, and sort of, I guess just listening to them and, and, and you know, giving them some authority with that seat. Yeah, um, it's a concept I learned going through mental health counseling. It's called validation. Um, being able to validate your own thoughts and your own perspectives is important. And having other people also understand and validate your way of life, your understanding and how you approach things is very important. So coming to the table, having a seat at the table and having people not only respect where you're coming from, but try to incorporate your perspective is a part of um, having that diverse train of thought that comes from being at the table. Um, and, you know, I think validation is typically we struggle as we struggle to validate our own like walks of life. Um, I think a lot of people who um, have struggled to get where they are, which is a lot of us, um, typically don't give ourselves enough credit. And so when you are able to validate yourself and then you have others that are validating you, it, it reinforces um, sense of self. And I think that's is a part of what's missing in our in our society. Um, too many people have been silenced, which means they're probably silencing themselves, not speaking up, which leads to whole different like conversation of things that can transpire. But I think that's a, an important reason for companies, for groups, organizations to make sure that they're not just giving people a seat, but like learning how to actively listen to the people who are brave enough to speak forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Savannah, I'd like you to kind of build on that and sharing about um, what are some of those obstacles that keep people from getting to the table? Um, because I, one of the things is that I've seen is that people don't always understand why people like, why people that aren't like them can't get there too. And so maybe you can share with us what some of those obstacles are and why it's so important that um, people be given the opportunity to get there. Sure. I mean, um, I, I mean, personally, I know there's countless obstacles that I can't even imagine. I mean, starting from a, as a white woman, I already have such a leg up. But I also know that there's a lot of obstacles that we could probably lessen almost immediately. I mean, in both the legal profession and in real estate, there's a lot of gatekeeping sort of centered around people's professional backgrounds or who they know. Um, it can be really hard to even get your resume considered if you don't have like a degree from the, the right school or don't have some sort of prestigious internship, you, you know, whatever it is. 
Um, but all of these experiences come with their own gatekeeping and you can't get those experiences if you don't have the privilege to do so or if you don't even know about them. Um, and so when we are looking for people to join our teams and we're putting these sort of gatekeeping measures on there, I think that we it shows that you're only seeking out applicants from highly privileged backgrounds and we're losing a wealth of diversity and a wealth of knowledge in all those individuals because I truly think that we're all better off if we can hear multiple perspectives, multiple points of view. And if we just were giving people chances, even just giving someone an interview who doesn't have the shiniest resume, I think can decrease a lot of that gatekeeping. Um, and just realize that you have no idea what someone's background is really until you get to know them. So, yeah. Yeah. I recently completed a certificate program in diversity and inclusive leadership, um, which was really amazing. It was a really great program and it encouraged people to share their story and to share about what has kept them from the table. And then, what are some ways that other people have been taking down those obstacles? And one of the things that I realized in doing that is kind of where you started is there are a ton of ways that we have been kept from the table. And it's not always purposeful, but it doesn't diminish the fact that it exists. And so I think acknowledging that is obviously one of them. But also, um, to your point, Ashley, understanding that individuals are going to feel and have different experiences. They're gonna have different feelings. They're gonna to react to things differently um, while also coming from diverse backgrounds. And so I think it's really important that in doing, in doing work in diversity and inclusion, you have to start with the knowledge that everyone is different. And people who are different have often been told that they're wrong or they're not you know, they should be this and not that at some point in their lives. And so they come into this with that. So they're already coming in. We're already coming into the space where it's like, I've been told that this space is not for me. So what you need to do as someone who is already here is to say, no, this space is for you. Here's why. And then here's how you can, you know, uh, contribute. And here's what you can do to get to the next space. And Ashley, I'd kind of like for you to share at this point how you've seen that change in education, you know, as you've gone through real estate school. Have you seen more diversity and inclusion type studies come along with that? I've seen more of a focus on wanting to diversify. Um, and what I've also seen is like the different approaches in how how schools are attempting to diversify. Um, I won't say whether or not I agree or disagree with those approaches, but I think it's important not to focus on the, I would, what I would say is the typical focuses, so what you can see. So that's skin color, that is gender identity, um, and maybe either even ex socioeconomic status. Um, as one of the youngest women in my real estate program, in a program that is focused on minorities and disenfranchised groups, I was still kind of discriminated against because of my age. Um, and so my program was mostly for non-traditional students. So that's anyone that's 
pretty much over the age of 35, I would say, um, or who's been out of school for more than 10 years. Um, and the background I came from was you know, similar to Savannah's. I love school. And so I was attempting to go get my PhD in real estate and urban design. And so I'm asking tons of questions. I'm looking for those big picture elements and the small things that feed into those big pictures. And, and quite honestly, most of the time I'd get a lot of like eye rolling and just like, you know, huge size of like, shut up. I'm trying to learn. I really want to focus on making more money because that's what real estate is known for people who want to make money and make good money. Right. And for me, I wanted to understand what were the elements of real estate that affected people's ability or inability to move up out of their current situations. Um, and so those were the things that I were, I was focused on. Um, and I felt myself silencing myself because I felt insecure about my age, my ideals, um, the fact that I'm not money oriented is what I kept getting t- being told. Um, and so it was like, well, maybe I'm in the wrong field. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe this is not the program for me. You know, what did I do wrong to get myself into the situation? And it took one woman, older woman, Caucasian. I mean, she's, you know, a lifelong student. As she told me to say, you belong as long as you know that, you know, you have the ability to make your environment the way you want it to be. And that's exactly why I was in real estate. I wanted that answer to be everyone's response to not feeling like, you know, being a black girl from the South side, we didn't go downtown because that wasn't our space. And what does that even mean? Who makes that, you know? So all of that is just a part of, I think the, the, the unknown consequences that programs have to, ask their students what your experience has been, what it is, what it is and what you want it to be in order for them to truly be able to make strides in diversity and inclusion when it comes to, to programs, especially those like real estate that are typically dominated or have been dominated by a certain group of people. Um, because I still have people this day wondering how they can get into real estate, how, you know, what are the, the ways that they can you know, pinpoint. And the Eisenberg Foundation is asking those questions, but they're asking them of not just their groups, but like outside their groups as well. Um, So that's non-traditional, it's contractors, it's agents, it's, you know, anyone who may touch real estate in some untraditional way, um, because it's, there is no one good answer, if, if I'm, in my opinion. So long winded, but sorry. (laughs) No, that's great. Um, you, we all work in fields, Savannah and I, the legal field, Ashley in real estate, we work in fields that are male dominated. Um, when I think of real estate, I think of white men and suburban moms. (laughs) Uh, I think that's like kind of traditional real estate, like agent sort of thinking. Um, and Savannah, obviously, uh, the law, the legal field is very masculine, very male dominated even today. And so... Mm -hmm. I'd like for each of you to share, and we'll start with Savannah here, share what it's like to walk into the room different. Like there is just no way getting around it. You're different when you walk into the room and what that feeling is like for you. Yeah, I mean, it can be pretty isolating. I mean, not only am I, you know, as you said, a woman walking into usually a room full of men, 
Um, but I am also gay and I grew up in a much lower socioeconomic bracket um, than a lot of people who go to college, much less grad school and law school. So I, you know, always felt like, um, you know, it's a little isolating because you feel like they all kind of know some things that you don't like for one thing. Um, there's just like, especially when I was in law school, I felt one step behind or, you know, maybe even multiple steps behind because I didn't even know what I didn't know. Um, just in terms of, you know, I didn't apply for certain uh, internships because I didn't know I was supposed to or things like that. Um, and, you know, when you're the only person in the room, you kind of wonder, like, why? And like, should you be there? Or, you know, now I've tried to switch my focus to thinking, um, I should definitely be here, but why aren't there more people of color? Why aren't there more queer people? Why aren't there more women? So I try to switch the focus now from um, like, it's still isolating, but instead of viewing that as a negative, I try to look for other people in the room that might also be feeling that isolation because there's power in numbers. And I think if we can seek each other out and start to build up that diversity, uh, we can work towards the inclusion as well once we get there. Um, so while it's isolating, I've been trying to spin it more positively recently. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I have and I do the same thing. So I think most of my life, I have always gravitated towards people that looked like me. Um, and whether that was female or person of color, it was some sort of comfort in a sea of like uh, uncertainty in how people would receive me. Um, and as I've gotten older, I think I've developed this like cynical desire to make others feel uncomfortable. Um, and so I struggle for a really long time. One, I, I love my hair short. I'm lazy. I don't like having to do my hair. And so it has quite often, um, makes people question because I see people trying to figure out like, what am I? Uh, who am I? And like, just based off the way I look. And so that, and the fact that I dress very androgynous a lot of the time, um, when I'm at work even makes it more like unsettling, which then sets the precedent of like, you know, do you want to know who I am and what I'm about? Or do you care more about what I look like? Um, and that opens up conversation. For, for individuals. Um, and I also try to make sure um, that I soften my face. Um, I know that I shouldn't have to, but I do because I feel like it opens up another dialogue of possibility um, for people to say, you know, I'm not the most educated. I'm not the most, you know, uh, open or knowledgeable about this topic, but I am curious. And I find it that people, um, gravitate towards me and wanting to ask me those those weird questions weird in a good way weird in a bad way whatever it may be and I try really hard not to get defensive um, because I can see that it's coming from a good place and they just don't know how to ask it in a good way if that makes any sense um, and so I try to make myself approachable I try to, to um, breathe and not respond in my um, <laughs> my defensive way, which is like, I think my nature sometimes. Um, but it can be very isolating to Savannah's point, but like 
as I've gotten older, I've tried to maintain a sense of positivity and desire to flip that, like she said, um, so that it 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 doesn't stay hostile and it doesn't stay isolating. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of people in the real estate have had to be the traditional, you know, male role um, in real estate. They've they've always been the dominating figures, and I think seeing more not people that don't look like them has made them question themselves and like, you know, why aren't there more women of color? Why aren't there more queer people? And to be honest, I think there are more. They just don't feel comfortable speaking out about it. Um, even immigrants, you know, like um, my fiance is from overseas. And quite frankly, he doesn't like speaking when he goes to events with me because he feels like people are going to be very biased against his accent. Um, and that's going to be the focus of the conversation as opposed to like, oh, you know, who, you know, what's your name? And it's more like, oh, where are you from? And he's like... Why does that matter? You know, um, so yeah, just I, I think it's just being maintaining that positive mindset. Yeah, and one of the themes uh, in both those stories is the fact that the person who is diverse has to do the majority of the work to make sure that other people feel comfortable. And it's like we're already dealing with a lot of other things and a lot of stares and people questioning whether you should be there. And now it's our job on top of that to make you feel comfortable with me being in the room. And uh, I think a little to Savannah's point, I came to the point where I was like, I don't care if you're uncomfortable because I've earned what I have. And, um, and I believe that I have something good for society. And me being here may be uncomfortable for you, but pushing through that discomfort is actually really healthy for you. And it's going to hopefully help mm -hmm. people yeah. in the future be more comfortable with other people and people of different races, people of different sexualities, people of different genders, because we know we're not just talking male and female, but there are also other genders or uh, non-gender conforming people who need to be given the same rights and the same opportunities as everyone else. And so the hope is that by sort of dealing, and I don't want to say dealing in a bad way, but by interacting with people and by opening yourselves up to being around people who aren't like you, that you learn, you grow, and you equip other people. Um, I remember the first time that I went to the Pride Parade here in Chicago. And I was an adult. I, was, I wasn't like a teenager. I was an adult. Went to the Pride Parade and I was emotional because I was like, these are my people, you know? I'm around people who get me. I'm around people who don't care who I date, don't care who I, or like what I decide to, uh, what faith I decide to interact with or what I do yeah. for work or any of that other stuff. They love me because I'm me and I'm here and we can be community together. And I was yeah. like really emotional around that because for the first time in a long time, I felt like I didn't have to do any work. I could just be me and I could have fun and I could have this really positive experience with a community of people that I really enjoyed getting to interact with over that time. And so I think that, you know, just even coming from the understanding, if you are especially a straight white male, 
but even if you are of a more majority race, gender, sexuality, whatever, mm-hmm. then then you should understand that that there is that discomfort, there is that sort of hesitancy from someone who isn't like you to share themselves. And they shouldn't be the ones doing the work to make sure that you feel comfortable. You should be the one doing the work to make sure that they know that you're comfortable and that you want to celebrate them. Yeah, I think it's 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 quite interesting for me because I, I have my family's very I hate to say it, but very diverse. I've got people from different cultures, race backgrounds, all different types of things, which has made it almost hard for me in some ways because um, I can see different, I can see everyone's point of view and their different, how they approach and where they come from in their walk of life. And so it's those moments like yours going to pride and feeling that over that sense of like, your home, you feel at, and you, you feel at home, you feel comfortable and you can kind of let the mask, all of the masks, different ones that you wear kind of settle and just be who you are is something that most people have never and will probably never feel in, you know, in certain situations. But the majority of people who, you know, I won't speak generally. I will say there are some people that I've worked with and that I know who never have to wear a mask, who can be their their genuine selves on a regular basis. And I envy them because I can't do that. I have to correct my speech. I can't speak like use colloquial language. I can't, um, you know, dress the way I want to all the time because there's something that prevents me or that fear that I have that I will not be able or not be welcomed and those are the things that I want to express to people and remind them of that everyone comes with a bias and whether you realize it or not, that bias may create a space that is unsafe for someone in that room. Um, And if we can just start with like individually acknowledging that I have a bias some in some shape, fashion or form um, and almost like humble yourself to be able to, maintain that level of like open-mindedness so that you, we can create those dialogues, right? Like I fear, and this is what I spoke in, you know, being on the DNI committee at the Eisenberg Foundation, my fear was that the people who should be in the room, i.e. in real estate, we should have white males, um, cisgen- you know, all of the t- atypical people in the rooms, because they're the ones that are going to help us push forward and break down those walls. It's like the fear what I what I have of not having males be a part of women groups because they typically make the space unsafe. And if we don't bring them in to say, hey, you should be a part of our advocacy group because we can't do this without you or having, you know, uh, our white counterparts a part of Black Lives Matters or Black Lives a part of Brown Lives Matter. All of that, we can't achieve change without our our others to be a part of the change. Um, and I fear sometimes that it, we isolate groups. We make them feel unwelcome, unwanted, because you may not, you don't have to agree with what I'm saying, but you, you have to respect my point of view and where others are coming from in order for us to really change. That is extremely important. And I think the world we're living in right now, people are so scared to just speak their truth 
because they're fear of retaliation. They're fearful of hate, the spite that comes from certain things. Um, and so I was really adamant with the like Eisenberg Foundation that I did not want the focus to be solely on the things that make us different, but the things that also make us, they're the same. The things that make us different make us the same because we all have some different and we all cross over. But if we have this like intolerance of what, like to Savannah's point, what diversity really is, we run the risk of like not actually achieving anything um, down the road. So it's, I don't know. I'm passionate about it more from the fact that I be- I'm a part of it, but it's just, you know, I believe in the human race and I have hope that we won't continuously tear each other down. Um, I have a son and I don't want my son to grow up being a mixed um, human and feeling like he has to choose parts of himself. You know, it's just crazy to think about. Yeah. 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 And Savannah, if you could, kind of build off of that and and talk about maybe some things that people can do in their lives. Um, Ashley made a great point of, of just, you know, learning and accepting others and accepting their experiences for what they are and not always trying to make sense of them. Um, but if, if you could build off of that and share maybe some other things that you think people can do in their everyday lives to encourage diversity and inclusion and really maybe even spearhead that in places where it hasn't been talked about yet. Yeah, I mean, the good news is, is it is 2020 and finding these like ways to reach out is pretty easy. Um, for me, it's always been reading um, and I could pass on a long list of books that I've been reading recently to, you know, um, educate myself about, you know, diversity and inclusion and race and, you know, everything. But um you know, also everything's just a Google away, really. Like it's pretty easy to just go to a part of Netflix you wouldn't and watch a story about people that don't look like you. Or, you know, in Chicago, it's really easy. Go to Hermosa, to Ukrainian Village. The South, the south Side has some amazing restaurants. Go just get some takeout from a different neighborhood. Meet the people that are serving you the food there. Just any way that you prefer to learn podcasts, documentaries, books, movies, TV. Like, I promise it's out there. So just, you know, pull Google up. I'm sure it's, you know, on your phone, on your computer. Put in what you want to learn about and how you want to learn about it. And you can do it. And it is your job to take that step and you know, if you know, if you're close to someone, you can ask them for good resources or if they would like to help you. But please, please stop putting all of the labor, as Nathan said earlier, on, you know, individuals of color, on the queer community. It's your job to learn about this. It's, you know, um, it's our job to, you know, educate ourselves. And I think it's pretty easy to do that today. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think um, equally important is accepting whatever privilege you do have. Um, As Savannah mentioned earlier, being a white person that affords her a certain level of privilege. Uh, Me being a male, I identify as a cis male. I was born a male. That's how I identify. Um, That affords me a certain level of privilege. Ashley being educated 
getting your master's, that affords you a certain level of privilege. And so we can accept that and not feel like it's going to keep us from being able to interact with different people who maybe aren't educated, aren't male, aren't white, whatever the case may be. But accepting your privilege isn't a bad thing. Um, it actually will help you to encourage others and to empower others to get to a place to where they should be, um, they deserve to be, they've worked to be. Um, but if you don't accept your privilege, you can't get there because you just won't be able to accept other people's stories. Um, one, one of the big things I'm really passionate yeah. about is accepting your story and sharing other people's story. And so I think those two things have to happen. We have to, to do that in order to, um, to empower ourselves and each other. And I think that's a really good place to start in your own life is saying, what is my privilege and what does that afford me? And how can I help other people knowing those two things? So one of the really cool things that I've seen in 2020 is that young people are really starting to rise up. They're really starting to understand that they do have a voice, that they do have a platform. And I think it's been a really encouraging year for young people. People really, you know, especially I think like 16 to 22, I hear a lot from them. And so I'd like for each of you to share something to the younger community to say, you know, how do you, how can a young person sort of take their story and do something big with it? What would you say to encourage them of, you know, not waiting until you're in college, not waiting until you've graduated, but what can they do now? I mean, in some ways, it's a really hard question, but in some ways, it's a really easy question because you just have to start with talking to one other person, really. And once you do that, it gets a lot easier, especially once you get some common ground with that one person, and then maybe they know one other person. And so then you've got two people, and it can grow from there. And so while it seems really daunting to be like, I'm going to go out and change the world and like make a big splash. Like you can, you could do that. You could be, you know, um, the next face of, you know, million mom March or whatever you want to do, but big things happen in small ways too. And just finding that one other person to start a connection with, I think can also be a really big difference. And I think, that they don't necessarily need advice from us either, because I think a lot of young people have really like gone out and done it already without help from us. And I think that, you know, they don't need our help. And I think a big part of that is that they've found each other and they've realized their diversity. I think I read a statistic recently that like 49% of Generation X are people of color. And I think that has a lot to do with it as well Is literally the white men can't be in power anymore because there aren't enough of them. So <laughs> I think they're doing a great job and they just need to keep pushing forward without any, like if they need help from me, they can seek it out, but I don't need to like, you know, give them some grand piece of advice or anything. Yeah. I will caveat this with my 
one-year-old is getting his diaper changed. So if you hear <laughs> screams, it's him. Um, <laughs> I think the advice that I, I have, a, I have a sister who is a part of Gen Z. Uh, and I think the advice that I give her on a regular basis um, is it's okay not to know what you want to do. And it's okay not to know how you want to make a change, but, and it's okay for you to just focus on yourself sometimes too. Um, but don't let yourself be silenced. Don't let others make your decision for you. Um, because you'll, you'll probably set yourself to be on a road that a lot of adults find themselves on is that they let someone silence them or make a decision for them and they regret it. And they're living with regret. Like, Hashtag don't live with regret is what I tell her all the time. Um, so it's it's also, I think, a lesson in power and knowing where your source of power comes from. Um, it's something that I plan to teach my son. Um, teaching him, I should say. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it's keep keep your own mind. Don't make let others make a decision for you. And sometimes... <laughs> don't take no as an answer <laughs> um yeah and keep pushing it's important you, you have to keep pushing perseverance is uh is is it can be learned um sometimes people don't have the choice and so they have to persevere but um keep pushing that's what i would say okay sure well i just wanted to add to you know ashley said you don't have to know what exactly you want to change you just know that like you sort of have that feeling like change needs to happen. And I think if you're going out there, you're being yourself and you're meeting other people who are being themselves as well. And you two can, you know, you all can find common ground together. Eventually, once you have done this with enough people, you will find the way that you're going to make change in the world. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And for me, I'm almost jealous of the high school and like college level age student right now because it's like you I didn't realize when I was that age the the resources that I had to learn um because when you're in school it's like ugh, I, I don't want to learn I don't want to I don't want to study more I don't want to do more work than I'm already doing I already don't like what I'm doing um but you don't realize like having a library right there or, you know, having a free library card in, or, you know, the online resources that you have, um, the professors that you have around you who have lived through things, um, you know, all, being around a more diverse group of people more naturally, you know, hoping that you go to a school that is diverse. Um, you know, if you just look around you, when you're in school, you'll see so many ways to learn and to share stories with each other and gain experience through that. And I would say just take whatever you can, even from just what you see around you. You don't have to look very far if you really look and you see, oh, okay, you know, I can, I can, yeah. uh, you know, sign up for this class. Like, Sign up for an African American studies class. Sign up for a women's history women's history class mm -hmm. or a feminism class. Um, you know, I I know it's been traditionally sort of thought of as 
the the type of person who would take a feminism class are you know this type of person or someone you know i'm not black so why would i take an african-american history class and it's like you know sign up for those take those classes even if you're uncomfortable even if you walk in the room and you're the only white person or the only male in the room like take advantage of whatever opportunities are around you because when you i don't want to say become an adult but when you're in in your career, you get so focused on you and what you were talking about earlier, Ashley, like making money, supporting your family, getting that next big thing. Um, It's easy to get distracted and it's not purposeful. It just happens. It happens to to a lot of people where we get into our careers Mm -hmm. and we get distracted by what we think we're supposed to be aiming towards a better job, a better, you know, more pay, a better house, you know, all these things. And it's like, you know, while that, you know, those, uh, maybe those values need to change a little bit. And I think they, they have over generations, but like, yeah, you're not going to have that same opportunity. So take the opportunities that are around you and just look around you and see what's there. Um, and if you have questions, just ask, ask someone because people love, one of the things that Savannah and I have learned doing this podcast is people love talking about themselves. So if you ask people a question about them, they generally <laughs> love to tell you all about it. So ask. Yeah. 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 I would say too, like it's um, important to learn what you don't want. Um, like if you can't identify what you do want, I'm, I'm pretty sure like 90% of us know what we don't want and how can I get to what I do want and like preventing what I don't want from happening or occurring or whatever it may be. Um, I mean, most of us know like the type of parent we don't want to be, or you want to be type of person we want to date, don't want to date. And so what kind of world don't you want to live in? That's like an important question to be able to answer. Um, So I I think that's a good place to start. And some people may say that's negative, but um, I think it's a good negative to flip and to, you know, to change. So um yeah yeah that's that's a great thought thank you for sharing that well we have uh really enjoyed spending time with you and we hope that you have learned something more about what diversity and inclusion means and how you can be a more open person to people who may not look like you or talk like you or, you know, practice faith like you or any uh, different versions of diversity in your, in your community. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time, both Savannah and Ashley. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. 
All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceedings.